The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. Chuck Oliver Show, rolling through this Tuesday, and I've been extremely happy. Most of today's show has been about on-field and very direct to playing the game. And, oh, yeah, I can see that playing out this fall, Chuck. Um, so, and that's always more fun. And just because of the realistic um, approach that we try to have to govern the sport, name, image, likeness, and the money, and the folks leaving and all that, it's just headlines. When the BC coach leaves um, what, two months after his season's over, just because, uh, you know what, it sucks. I don't want to be here anymore. Head coach in the Atlantic Coast Conference is like, mm, yeah, I'll go work for somebody else in the NFL. Then we got to talk about that stuff. But today it's been a lot of on-field. And I said the, the mustard seed, what this all grew out of, is I started looking at different lists of quarterbacks, and I was thinking about it started with Auburn and Peyton Thorne. And... It just the idea that it has to equal more, that it can't be a different, and by the way, not nearly as glamorous, but it can't be just a different version of what I said about Spence Rattler from this past season. If you would have told me, like media days, I've got my preseason ballot. We're in Nashville last July, and I'm about to decide my final order for the last year of the SEC East. If you said, hey, Chuck, I've got some inside information, a little Gray's Almanac. Spence Rattler? going to play every game. He's going to be fantastic. He's going to survive hits. He's going to get universal praise for how well he plays this season. Great season. Going to clearly validate his choice to go to South Carolina in the first choice and return for a second year. That's what everyone will be talking when they discuss Spence Rattler in December. They want a good year for him. And I remember thinking at the end, when I looked at the final, was it 16-7 to seven against Clemson? I'm like, boo, bad end of the season. Um, I was like, folks, with that description for your QB, it has to equal more. That's not true. Doesn't. The same as I'm looking at Drake May, and for Drake May... Like Spence Rattler, there was always projection and he's going to make it to the league and it was always the varying degrees of how strong we felt about that. And it would come and go. With Drake May, there was never any variance with that kid. He's going to the league. He is NFL all the way from the moment. he Didn't he have a redshirt year and then he took over for Sam Howell? Folks, North Carolina lost five games last year. And they may have the, like, it had to equal more than that. And it didn't. USC lost five games too, Caleb Williams. So this is the biggest change to me. And I mean, it happened. Snap your fingers. It used to be, time was, if you had the quarterback thing, I mean locked. If you had the quarterback thing really figured out, do you know what it at least guarantees you? More wins than losses. And maybe 
the salad days for your program. High cotton. When you look back at quarterbacks who have been that guy and had that season where they turn into first-round draft picks or maybe even the first overall pick, it is Aaron Rodgers at Cal Berkeley. Cal, a school that barely has a program, they were top five with him. If you're too young, David, if you're too young to really remember when Pete Carroll and Reggie Bush and Lindell White was like the third best running back on that team, there was a year when Cal, comma, with Aaron Rodgers, put him against the fence, man. Gave him their biggest threat of the year because Aaron Rodgers. When you have a quarterback like that, it means we're about to have one of our greatest seasons. It doesn't mean that anymore. Not even close. And so last year, I found myself in December saying, it has to equal more than this for South Carolina. My gosh, look at the season they got from that kid. Caleb has a Heisman. He's going to be the first overall pick. They win eight and five. So who am I to look at Peyton Thorne? I just told you about Drake May and Caleb Williams. They're going to be the first and second overall pick. They lost 10 games. And I'm looking at Peyton Thorne going, do you know how many games he started? Take a guess. In the, and by the way, this wasn't, I started in the Mountain West for Colorado's. No, 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 no. In the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference. Do you, he started 38 games. One of the worst performances of the Auburn offense all year might have been the bowl game. And Peyton Thorne ran the ball kind of okay. Had some moments later in the season until the actual end of the season. But he's not a kid coming off a red shirt like Drake May was. He's not a transfer who never played. And you know what? I just want a shot. This is a guy now going into this season, and I was trying to, again, it started with Peyton Thorne, and what is this going to equal for Hugh Freeze? And a lot of my conclusions, I was like, no, it has to equal more than that. He's too experienced, too smart. The coaching is too good. You are in the SEC. The idea that you're going to have too much talent, you're going to have too much talent at receiver at Auburn, that's not true yet. Might be soon, freshman. But it's not yet. So all this started with Peyton Thorne. And it has to equal more. No, it doesn't. And when you look around the SEC, part of the reason it doesn't have to equal more is there's a chance this is... There's a chance this is the best the SEC quarterback play has been, despite the fact that we don't have where's the Heisman frontrunner and who's the big names and the returning whatevers. Like, Jalen Milrow's a very imperfect quarterback. I think Jalen Milrow was poised to have a tremendous 20. Like, there's a lot of upside for a lot of guys who have already put skins on the wall. I think this is going to be one of the best years for SEC quarterback play in maybe a decade. Like, this is a really intriguing class because you get so far down that when you start ranking them yourself, Peyton Thorne might be the 13th, 14th best quarterback in the SEC. And there's projection there. There's projection that Connor Wegman does something. There's projection that Brady Cook is at least as good, if not better. There's projection that everything that Jackson Dart showed last year and everything that Lane Kiffin is going to push him to this year, that there's a next level for him. 
We can't. I mentioned Quinn Ewers. Oklahoma's in the league too. Did, show of hands right now if you're driving. Uh, just think it to yourself. Who knows who the Oklahoma quarterback's going to be in 2024? I think I do. I mean, barring you know some unusual academics or an injury, or uh, he goes Cat Stevens and moves around the other side of the world after giving all the stuff away. Other than Wikipedia, um, Jackson Arnold is the kid. I thought Dylan Gabriel. No, he's gone. Oh, yeah, to the NFL? No, he transferred. Again, Jackson Arnold's going to be the starting quarterback. Started one game, a bowl game, which is so hard to evaluate. What are you actually doing out there? We just talked about Nico, the kid from uh, Tennessee. I saw him in the bowl game. I was like, all right, he's got it. Whatever it is you need to play quarterback in the SEC, he has it. Jackson Arnold, I assume he has it. He's going to be the starter for Oklahoma. And he would finish on your list ahead of Peyton Thorne. Peyton Thorne's thrown for like 8,000 yards. And that's not just one of those numbers you throw out there to make. The, he's got 8,000. No, no, he's thrown for 8,200 yards or 8,003, whatever it is. And so I, when I say it has to equal more, this is the point to all this. No, it doesn't. I look at Peyton Thorne, and I'm dropping him in a fishbowl. I'm saying his experience, his growth, his maturity at the position, and that's just by taking snaps in games, and he's played a lot. And the coaching. And you assume an improving wide receiver core. They got big, big, big-time recruits coming in. And receiver is one of those things where it may take you like half a season. But a freshman, he can get up to speed and contribute at receiver. And so all of this stuff, I'm like, it has to equal more. And then I look at the rest of the QBs in the league, and I'm like, no, it doesn't. Graham Mertz, you know how outstanding that kid was last year for an offense that we looked at and went, eh. There were some Saturdays that it really worked. There was a Thursday night and a few other Saturdays that it didn't. Graham Mertz. He is the Milky Way in front of Peyton Thorne and the Auburn passing game right now. And I would say, honestly, if we're picking teams, all right, everybody pick a quarterback. Graham Mertz probably goes off like 8th, ninth, 10th in the conference. So it doesn't have to be better. It doesn't have to equal more. I just saw a guy with Spence Rattler who was the number one recruit at the position in all of America and it didn't equal more. And Jalen Milrow with the season I expect him to have. And Nico. And Garrett Nussmeyer. And, 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 and then you get to Peyton Thorne. So the best thing for Hugh Freeze, the best thing for Peyton is everything that I mentioned in that fishbowl. Everything they have to work with. And so, and that's what you concentrate on. The tough scenario is when you actually go out and play games this is the lineup of other quarterbacks that you're competing against in a week-to-week basis and then also uh, for your place in the standings and moving forward, and hopefully the playoffs. So, uh, no, it doesn't have to equal more. You can be outstanding like Spence Rattler and tough and take the hit, and even in a losing season, I put up numbers and I played and I gained everybody respect and I had stats and it didn't equal more. And even had fun pieces on the outside. Like South Carolina, they love Lenore Sellers. They swear, no, this is the guy. All right, how you can be better than Spence Rattler? So you got to evolve, man. Got to figure out that answer. All right, uh, it's a Tuesday. We're going to take a break. Come back, talk a little Florida State next.
Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Poor Houston Nutt. Chuck Oliver Show continues on a Tuesday. Do you remember Houston Nutt when he was at Ole Miss? They had this thing in the SEC called the Houston Nutt Rule because he signed 38 kids one year. You could only sign 25. Um, and he got a bad rap for it. I don't know. Dion signed 85 last year. 80, actually, he signed 86 in a year where he only had 85 scholarships. Uh, Florida State's doing that same thing as everybody else. They've got high school kids who are already there on campus. They've got, uh, I think, another nine or so that are going to show up later on in the year. Uh, they've got transfers coming and going. As Mike Norvell, it is a year-to-year thing, and you just try to replace the pieces you lost with some instant impact kids, some grown men from other programs, and hopefully for you, the uh, program will roll right along. After an undefeated regular season ACC title, that is what they're after. want to welcome on right now. Time to talk a little Florida State because it's one of the biggest programs in America. Tallahassee Democrat, he's the FSU beat guy. want to welcome on right now, Essen Kassam. Welcome to the program, brother. How you doing? Good. How you doing, sir? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate your time today. First of all, uh, Bobby Bowden, I'm old enough. He was always good for like a signing day major flip. Well, he ain't been the coach for 15 years, and that's not what signing day is anymore. Um, I was mentioning the early enrollees and everything else. Are you expecting to see anything tomorrow with signing day, any sort of big news, or is the the work done? The work's done. Um, FSU, um, unless they talk somehow flip a um, a transfer, like you mentioned earlier, that's what the game is now. I don't see them doing anything other than announcing one player who would be Amari Williams who commits to FSU on Saturday. But the bulk of the work is done for the you know the signing class. So it is most of the time with early signing day now. Yeah, it is. Let's uh, do just a little commentary, quick commentary on what uh, the comings and goings through that uh, portal. Tate Rodemaker, there was no real plans for him, and he kind of had to know that, I guess. Um, he's out to Southern Miss. What is the idea? Everybody loves an experience backup, but um, any sort of impact on the program, or was that good for both parties? I believe that was good for both parties. Tate had um, one year of eligibility left. Um, he was it was obvious that Florida State was going to go in a different direction. He was not going to be a starter here, even hosting DJU, hosting Cam Ward yep. um, on campus before he got in the before the ball game even. And um, you know, I think it was a weird timing for him to enter on um, Christmas Day. But I also don't blame him because I think he saw the writing on the wall. The spots are drying up really quickly in the portal, as we saw before the end of the, end of the um, year. Just people were picking, snatching up quarterbacks as, you know, that's the most important position in the field. So I just feel like his time at Florida State was up. He was going to be in competition for the backup role probably. Um, either not bringing in, you know, you to be the backup in his final season eligibility. So, I just think his time was up at Florida State, and he saw the writing on the wall. They saw the writing on the wall, so it was best for both parties. Yeah, and you get the scholarship can move on. Uh, A.J. Duffy, same thing. He went out to San Diego State. So talk a little bit about DJU. Obviously, Mike Norvell sees He's got the vision. He was like, this is going to work with my offense. Um, tell me what the thought is, how it may look different than when, for instance, Jordan Travis was healthy and taking the snaps. Yeah, no, Jordan Travis, you know, had a good arm, but I think um, DJU has a little better arm. They're going to utilize, um, they brought in some speed and um, some of the receivers they brought in this year, um, and Jalen Brown, um, 
the transfer from Alabama. Um, oh, Malik Benson, Benson, yeah, stud. Malik Benson. So they brought in a lot of speed. They had some speed, but Jakai Douglas, you know, some. Of the, it looks like they're going to try use, utilizing his strength by throwing a deep ball, using an immediate game with you know um, some of the taller receivers and Kentron, Kentron Potier, and just um, try. It's going to be a little bit of a different offense. I think they're going to try leaning on the run game a little bit as more because DJU seems like he's a more willing runner than Jordan Travis was at times last year. So I do think the offense can be a little different, but it's been the same in the sense that they're still probably going to be able to put up points. I just think it's me a lot of unproven on this offense compared to last year entering the season. So Rodney Hill out. He's just, I think, just going down the street, isn't he? FAMU and then uh, Roy Dell Williams coming in from Alabama. He finally got a little run this year. He was one of those big, you know, five-star, 2,000-yard high school seniors, uh, and now he's in the fold. What do you think the running back two deep or three deep may look like? Yeah, I think um, right now my early favorite to start would be Roy Dell just because he's the only one who has experience of starting um, or put, not start, but at least playing significant snaps. I think I had my story. He was the only one. He had 111 rushes last year where Lawrence Tofilly had something like 64 or something like that. So it's not like Lawrence Tofilly should be number two, the change of pace back, but he's not a guy who profiles as a lead back. And then I would say um, a player to watch next year, two players to watch, I'd say, um, Keziah Holmes, who was a transfer Penn State, um, in his limited touches last year, scored four touchdowns on 34 touches and showed some prowess being able to um, run between the tackles and catching the ball. He's a little bigger back. And then freshman Cam Davis um, already looks like a college football player. Um, and he just entering um, the off-season strength and conditioning program with Coach Josh Storms. Mm-hmm. So he is someone that I think could be a real wild, wild card and um, still some playing time next year because he already looks like a um, a college football running back instead of a um, just a freshman coming in. Oh, and I always talk about that. The, everybody can run fast. I mean, speed, speed. You have to have a college football body to play running back as a freshman, and that is a wide awakening for a lot of 18-year-old kids. You write about that. Wrapping up, Essen Kassam from the Tallahassee Democrat. Uh, one thing about the defense, and you hit on it there a little bit. You're like, yeah, nobody's really coming back with any production at running back. Talk about sacks, because basically, if you wore a Florida State uniform last year and you ever touched a quarterback, you're gone. Um, what is the idea to kind of gin that up? Is that like a Marvin Jones Jr. thing and some other kids through the portal? Well, I think the number there's two um, players return, three players returning that could be a key. Um, Patrick Payton, a standout, is going to have a bigger role. You know, I think I don't remember how many sacks he ended last year with, but he was um, he was second on the team to um, um, Jared Verse. Verse and yeah. Jared Verse, and he's a um, menace at defensive end. I think he'll. Um, He's someone that to watch. Um, Daryl Jackson got in one game last year because NCAA did not yep. approve his waiver as a two-time transfer. Um, even though you know he was coming home for a sick, he got done wrong. Family member, <laughs> he got done wrong. Yeah, I, you know that's the best way of putting it. Um, he, he'll play a bigger role next year. And then Joshua Farmer had a good start to the season. He's going to kind of take over that. Um, he was a starter last year. He returns, but yeah, no. There's um, you know Grady Kelly was addition in the portal from um, Colorado State to be an important player. Marvin Jones Jr. is a major addition, former Florida State legacy. I think he'll play a huge role. And then um, the um, Shion Lolulia and um, Tomiwa Derojoe, I believe I said both of those correct, um, are two important players from um, Oregon State. 
and um, West Virginia who could pick, factor in the defensive line and you know get to the quarterback. I think um, Florida State's room it might be a little deeper than last year, even if it's not as talented as last year. If that makes sense, um, with you know what they lost in Davian Lovett, Jared Verse, among others. Yep. All right, last thing I want to ask you, um, and Florida State was first to kind of get in the NCAA's name, image, likeness, crosshairs, and they settled and got it finished. Um, seeing what's going on in Tennessee and Virginia right now, take a minute and tell me, like, is there relief or just like, thank God we settled and it's not going to – like, we don't have the attorney general from Florida getting into the fray now like in these other states. Um, what's the idea about Florida State and them? They've already settled and they're done with this. Yeah, I think um – like you mentioned, Florida State settled and got out probably better than it might seem like other teams will. It's going to be interesting to see what happens at Florida down the road. But, yeah, like it's it's an interesting time. It, it is interesting that Florida State and Florida were the first targets for things that seems like are going on everywhere, to be honest. But um, we'll see what comes of this. It just um, There's a little bit of relief, but there's still some anger at the NCAA that Florida State was the first school targeted when there were some notable things going on in other places, including, yep. um, you know, the team they played in the Orange Bowl and the um, national champion. So. Yeah, and I said it's going to affect Alex Atkins' career. Like, that guy's in line for a head coaching job, and now he's got, I think it's a two- or three-year show calls now, so that's not good at all. Uh, Essen, I appreciate you coming on and the, uh, the insight, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Um, thank you. Yes, sir. Essen Kassim. Truest reporter, Tallahassee Democrat. So there are times where just palms up going, uh, just give me the number. Just give me the number. Tell me what the bribe is. I had a buddy, this is a bad thing. He landed in a foreign country, Mexico, and he had the wrong paper. He's like, well, you can still get in, but there's a processing fee. He's like, give me the number. So he paid a couple of hundred dollars for the processing fee because the issue with his passport. He's like, all right, I'm in. Just give me the number. Sometimes that's what you're after. FSU is like, NCAA, just give us the number. Tell us what it is. We want this to go away. Tennessee and Virginia, the states and the universities, they're in for the fight. The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. College football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. As mentioned earlier, poor Houston Nutt gets such a bad rap. He was the over-signing king. Now it's just normal. Kalen DeBoer 
there was some confusion if he overhired. You can have 10 – it used to be nine in the head coach. You can have 10 on-field assistants now. You can blow out the analyst and the, you know, contributor staff, you know, whatever you want to do. He hired a guy from Oklahoma as a special teams coordinator, and I don't know this for sure, but here's what some programs have started doing. Special teams coordinator doesn't have to be an on-field coach. That's kind of a guy who's like, I'm going to come up with the mad scientist stuff, and, the, and then the other coaches, you're going to go coach it on the field. So you get the benefit of the special teams coordinator without, quote, having to use up one of your on. I don't know. There, there are different ways, and you try to you know slice and dissect this every way you can to get the maximum advantage from your allotted coaches. And so um, I don't think Kalen DeBoer has oversigned on the coaching staff, uh, but I know somebody who can work out all this. want to welcome on right now from The Athletic. Welcome back, Kennington Smith III. How you doing, friend? I'm good. How are you? Uh, nothing but blessed. Uh, did I see this right? Uh, you got a special teams guy coming in from Oklahoma. Talk Jay Nunez and his role in Tuscaloosa, please. Yeah, so I think you kind of hit it on the head where you're bringing somebody in as an analyst of special teams, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be an on-field coach. As you stated, this is something that's become a norm. Georgia does this. Um, you know, Scott Cochran is the special teams coordinator. Right. And they have another special teams analyst on the support staff, but Georgia has 10 full-time assistant coaches. So somebody kind of comes up with the game plan and then the coaches on the field implement it. I believe even going back to Mark Rick, there wasn't a full-time special teams coordinator coordinator they kind of divvied up the responsibilities among position coaches so bringing in William injury onto the staff I think is going to help facilitate this move because he has extended special teams coordinator experience in his previous stops so you insert him on the defensive side and then you have the, the special teams analyst and then NG and the rest of the coaches will be able to kind of you know bring these plans to fruition on the field so uh, Kalen DeBoer did not oversign from my understanding and uh, like you said it's really just about creating creating um, as much of an advantage as possible. All right. So we've talked to Alabama's coaching staff as he retained a couple and then started adding. Uh, is it complete now? Is all the, the 10 on field and everything is filled on all of the, the uh, 10 spots, correct? Yeah, everything seems to be in line. We're still waiting on Alabama Athletics to officially announce these coaches. I think it was kind of one of those things where they want to do it in a, in one swoop, just kind of unveil it all at one time. So had to wait for that 10th on-field assistant. And then, um, you know, Ryan Grubb's name has come up in yeah. NFL circles as well for the offensive coordinator. Ross. I think they want to make sure that that's solidified before they put it out because I don't think they want, especially in this kind of post-saving era, to kind of do the whole – okay, this coach is going to be the coach, and then he takes the NFL job. Then you got to do another press release and another coaching search. I think it wants to be, um, you know, just one seamless, unified kind of press release. Here are the coaches, and, and let's move forward to spring practice. So as of right now, the coaching staff is complete, but we'll wait on um, Alabama Athletics' word for, the, for that final confirmation. Continuing from the Athletic, it's Kennington Smith the third. Uh, all right, it, it was kind of funny. Back in the day, there was never a good answer when people would say, why can't the kids transfer? And you would give some reasons, and then people would say, but the coach can leave anytime he want to, and there was no good answer. So now when the coach leaves, you get a 30-day window. Uh, that is going to close later this week, I think. Um, anybody else are you expecting, you hearing, has all the uh, the coming and going already been done for Alabama players. Yeah, it's all it's all done at this point. And I think it's important to note that 
during this 30-day window, players were able to leave, but at a certain point, you have to be a full-time student at your new yep. school so you can be eligible for spring practice. So there, the 30-day window remains open, but really kind of once, once it got to that late January, February 1st window, we're starting to get into a conversation of if a kid decides to leave Alabama, go to another school, then that other school would have to sign a special waiver or do an exemption just to, to get that kid enrolled in classes because the semester started pretty early for, for most of the colleges around the country. I mean, even by the time, like, Julian Stane and the last ones who exited Bama, we're talking about three weeks into the semester for most of these colleges. So yep. Bama's, Bama's portal window is all but closed at this point, and it's full eyes ahead to spring practice. And I think the post-spring practice window will be more intriguing than even this 30-day window because Alabama will probably have some more departures, but then they'll be able to go on the offensive and go and get kids from other schools as well. So that April 15th date is one that fans will want to circle. All right. Uh, follow him on Twitter, if for no other reason that I can say is skinny Kenny. All right. So go follow him on Twitter and get Alabama info all the time. Um, okay, uh, signing day tomorrow. I guess Ryan Williams, Auburn fans had a little glimmer of hope, and Hugh Freeze and everybody true loved him after Saban left, but he's recommitted. That's a ceremony that's set tomorrow. Ryan Williams going to sign with Alabama when he's able to tomorrow morning. Yeah, Ryan Williams signing with Alabama, uh, you know, committed to Alabama, shut down his recruitment, canceled his visit to Auburn, which I think happened, you know, a couple, like last week or whatever he committed, he canceled that visit. So you want to talk about a huge recruiting win for Kalen DeBoer to have almost zero ties to Ryan Williams and then all of the lead recruiters in his recruitment, Saban, Holman Wiggins, Travars Robinson, all depart. And DeBoer's able to come in and fend off Auburn and LSU and Texas and all his other suitors and keep Ryan Williams in the fold. That is, I think, a move that's going to create a lot of momentum for Alabama in this upcoming 2025 cycle, which is going to be very critical. Um, we know Kalen DeBoer can coach. I think one of the biggest knocks on him is that he's not from the SEC footprint and he hasn't been in those elite recruiting battles like a lot of the SEC coaches have been. So get that Ryan Williams win was huge in his first few weeks and we'll see how that can parlay into the 2025 cycle. Yeah, and the word is that down in Saraland, 10 a.m. local tomorrow and he's going to sign and that's what it is. Um, and he, by the way, he's still a year early, so he's going to be at Alabama doing good things when he should be, like going to homecoming and prom in high school. So, um, All right, last thing for you. I always look at, like, when there's a new coach, I'm like, all right, what are they about? What do they do offensively? How is this going to affect these guys? Kalen DeBoer, he puts up huge passing yards and touchdowns for quarterbacks. Like, that's just how his offense is. Tell me what your idea for possibilities for Jalen Milrow with Kalen DeBoer is this fall. Yeah, I think, um, and I actually, I would, shameless plug, I would want fans if, you know, you're subscribed to The Athletic to go, because I actually wrote um, an in-depth piece about this, um, how Caleb DeBoer's offense can fit Alabama's personnel. And one thing that sticks out about Jalen Milrow and Michael Penix is that these are two of the best deep ball throwers in the country. So you think about what Caleb DeBoer was able to do with Michael Penix, and I know Washington had this, you know, elite complement of receivers, but throwing the ball down the field was one of Michael Penix's strengths, and that was a staple of that offense. I expect that to continue under Jalen Milrow. Now, the interesting part is, obviously, Jalen Milrow is a much more dynamic athlete than Penix, so I would expect the board to, you know, conclude a lot of quarterback runs, a lot of RPO looks, a lot of things that are able to get Jalen Milrow out of the pocket, um, you know, allow him to use his legs to extend plays and find receivers downfield. So I do think it's going to be quite an adjustment um, just because that offense put a lot on Penix and he had to make a lot of throws and a lot of checks. But I do believe that 
you know, Milro going into his second year, kind of knowing that he's established, having the confidence from last year, and then having an offensive-minded head coach and a, and a great developer in Ryan Grubb as well is only going to accelerate his development. So I think there are going to be some, some differences between Alabama and Washington, but I think things that are going to be constant are deep ball throwing, um, quarterback runs, and short passes to, to put playmakers in space, which is something that Alabama really didn't do a lot of this year, but something that DeBoer emphasized at Washington. Last thing for you, and this is just to peek ahead and it may be your opinion. Uh, Dylan Johnson, you talk about a kid who made the right call in the uh, transfer portal last year. So DeBoer and their offense, you can have a feature back as well. Talk Jam Miller and Justice Haynes because I kept hearing the hype all year and I know it's real. I know those kids are special. Tell me what, but it never really happened for him in the regular season last year. Tell me uh, what the two deep, three deep may look like at running back come spring. Yeah, I think Alabama fans are going to be really excited about what they have at running back. And last year was a unique situation just because the offense was um, pretty clunky at a lot of times in the year. Um, they struggled with pass protection. So Nick Saban really just opted for Jace McClellan and Roy DeWilliams as just two reliable seniors um, because Alabama's offense just couldn't afford a lot of young mistakes. So I think Jam Miller, Justice Haynes, showed a little bit in the Rose Bowl and they got an opportunity. I expect them to add an element of explosiveness to the offense that didn't really exist in 2023 with McClellan and, and Roy Dell. So I expect those two to, to be fixtures in the offense. I expect them to be more involved in the pass game. And I think those are going to be kind of like a one-two punch, almost like a 1A, 1B co-starter type of situation. And running back, I expect them to get the bulk of the carries. And Alabama has a talented running back room. Richard Young was a five-star in the same class as Justice Haynes, and he's probably going to get um, a bigger opportunity this year as well. So Alabama's running back room is loaded under Robert Gillespie, and that's the reason why I'm retained by DeBoer. There's a Milo's. There's a Dreamland. You don't have to be skinny. All right, make the change. All right, Kennington, join us. Uh, I appreciate the insight, friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Kennington Smith, Skinny Kenny on Twitter. He still doesn't buy the brown sauce on the cheeseburger, but Milo's on McFarland. There's Dreamland. There's good, good, good vittles. You ever eaten at Rammer Jammers? I have not. Deep fried bounty. Just a wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, so there's all kinds of options around Tuscaloosa and even right there, like literally across the corner from the stadium. So, uh, Kennington Lloyd Smith, the third, appreciate him bringing his athletic expertise to the program. We're going to break, come back, wrap up on us Tuesday next. to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. It's almost a requirement, isn't it? Not necessarily the strength of the language. Uh, that That's their own choice. But in terms of fighting back against the NCAA, what other choice does Tennessee have? Because the school or the, the football program, if that's really what this conversation comes back to, can't afford more penalties while on probation, having just gone through what it did with the Jeremy Pruitt case. Josh Ward, Sports Animal, Knoxville. And at the crux is, first of all, are you guilty? Are you guilty of some stuff? Uh, And you are. Are you a repeat offender? You are. So just the blank, like, big sheet of white poster board. All right, we're going to start writing down some facts. Is Tennessee guilty? Did they break rules? Yes. Are they a repeat offender? Yes. Uh, 
Now what the attorney in court says, now, folks, I want you to put that aside. <laughs> Are they guilty? Yes. Have they been guilty recently? Yes. Put that aside, folks. I'm going to put the system on trial. We talked earlier, Florida State, they had their own issues, and they're not a repeat offender. So they're like, all right, we'll take the shot. Tennessee's like, we can't afford to. The, we'll throw ourselves on the sword. It will be a new day. You can only say that like once ever so often, and usually like a couple of decades. You can't say it at the end of the, I'm going to get this right, the 2020 season. You can't say that at the end of the 20 season. And then three, three and a half years later, say, hey, look, this time we're really going to clean things up. So I don't think they're, they should be guilty of anything. But by the letter, they are, um, especially in the Wild West that we live in. Speaking of Wild West and big changes and all, I believe a permanent divide is coming, and it will be pitched as the rapture. It, it, it'll be the end of all times. It won't be as impactful as we think. Now, I say we. I mean most of us as we'll talk about it. Dig, if you will, the picture. The Miami Dolphins announced their 2024 schedule. Buffalo Bills, New York Jets, Pittsburgh Steelers, Toronto Argonauts, New Jersey Generals, Houston Roughnecks, Orlando Apollos. Would we agree? Do we know who those teams are? You have an NFL team, which is the absolute highest level of all football. All right, we've, we've got our game set. Here's our schedule for the coming season. Few games against teams kind of like them. Then a game against a team from the Canadian Football League, one from the USFL, an XFL team, and I don't know, from the AAF, the champion Orlando Apollos. Steve Spurrier will be happy to tell you they were the team they first were, place. At absolutely. The end of the run of the Apollos. And he's got a football to prove it. I saw it. Folks, that is a farcical schedule. A normal reaction would be to look at that and think, there are games on that schedule. No way, no how. It's competitive. It wouldn't even be on TV. Folks, that's college schedules every year. What I just read you, where the Miami Dolphins would announce, oh, yeah, we got some teams against other teams just like us. We got some games against other teams just like us. Then we have some games against a couple of teams that are almost like us, but a lower level. And then we got a couple of games against teams that absolutely have no shot to even be competitive, and it wouldn't even be on TV. Folks, in 1910, Southern Miss was founded in Hattiesburg. 1913, Southern Methodist was founded in Georgetown, Texas. The only reason SMU will get to keep playing real college football and Southern Miss won't is because in 1915, SMU cut the ribbon on a new campus way up in Dallas. They moved. Southern Miss never moved to the big city. Like, this is no country for old men sort of stuff. Like, life is a coin flip. 109 years ago, in Georgetown, they're like, yeah, let's leave here. We got a new campus being built in Dallas. All right, we're heading, lighting out for the city. People in Hattiesburg looked around and was like, no, we like it here. 
That is the reason that Southern Miss gets to keep playing big-time football because they're in a big-time city, and a conference said, yeah, we'll take you. And as real as that is for a few programs, here's even more reality. When the split comes, you ain't scheduling these teams anymore. When the split comes, the Miami Dolphins will not be playing the Toronto Argonauts or the Orlando Apollos. That, that's done. When this happens, we'll be more than likely surprised that it went on as long as it did. It'll be like when the National League finally disappeared pitchers hitting, we got over that in like two seconds. We were like, my gosh, why did they do this for 50 years? That's what's going on with this SEC Big Ten Alliance thing. They're the NFL commissioner back in the 20s saying no more playing club teams, mill workers, anybody that can get 11 guys together, you can play the Chicago Bears. Because you know back in the 20s and 30s, do you know what teams in the NFL would do? They would play mill workers, club teams, anybody that showed up with 11 guys, you could play against an NFL team. And then somebody stepped in and said, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We're only going to play teams like us. Same here. Georgia Bulldogs. When it comes to college football, isn't Georgia and the SEC like the Dolphins and the like they're a really good team in the highest level possible? The Miami Dolphins aren't playing the New Jersey Generals anytime soon. Georgia opened last season with UT Martin, Ball State, and UAB in its first four games. This is the same thing as the Chicago Bears showing up for a game against a guy from a moving company that brought 10 of his workers. And they would play the game. All of that ended. This is going to end, too. This is going to be a giant divide, and I promise you, when we get here, when it's the Big Ten with their 32 teams and it's the SEC with their 32 teams and they're not playing anyone else, we aren't going to say, oh, I missed the days when, no, you're not. You're going to wonder why it went on as long as it did, just like pitchers hitting in the NL. Hey, how's it Tuesday, man? Well, it's not as good as apparently Carson Beck's is, Chuck. Have you uh, seen Carson Beck's new ride? Oh, what's he totaling around in? Uh, it is a 1978 VW Rabbit. No, 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 I'm sorry. That's incorrect. Uh, it, it actually turns out that uh, Carson Beck has purchased a Lamborghini Urus Performante. I hope I'm even pronouncing that right. I don't even know. Uh, but the Performante apparently goes for uh, just over $270,000 a year. Uh, Beck is pictured with the vehicle on the uh, Atlanta Autos Instagram page uh, and seems to be happy with it. He uh, He's also, by the way, wearing a pair of shoes that I would say the odds are good that these shoes, even though they look like something I would not buy if I was uh, seeing them at Walmart for $5, I'm guessing these are the kind of shoes somebody actually paid like $850 for because that's how these kind of things roll. But, uh, but yeah, Chuck, uh, $270K for a car once upon a time, of course, this would have been a shocking, scandalous development. But, of course, now it's not only not a scandal in any way, but is actually touted as, uh, hey, look at this. Isn't okay. this a nice thing? So he went Ric Flair. His right shoe costs more than everything you're wearing. Correct. Okay. And I'm going to say something. Usually when you say somebody bought a Lamborghini, we think low, flat to the ground, don't even think about going over railroad tracks like this is an F1 sort of car. Have you looked at the actual car, the Lamborghini that he bought? Yeah, it's more like... 
I don't know how you do it, like a hatchback wagon type it, of thing. Exactly. It is not like an exotic Uber European, you know, whatever, with like gold wing doors. It's sort of a normal-ish looking car uh, that just happens to be a Lambo. I, I just, my thing on this is anybody who's buying these kind of cars, not forget about athletes, just just regular stockbroker guy that's rich wants to buy a car. What is the point of owning these cars in cities? You can't drive them the way you're supposed to drive these things in U.S. cities. I mean, I, if you want to do like Ferris Bueller's buddy's dad and have them on display in your living room, I guess that's fine. But, like, where you, you going to really drive this down to the Zaxby's? Really? Uh, I don't see you tooling around Clark County, hopefully, and Kirby's the same way, uh, really winding out the Lambo. On 316, I don't think Kirby really, that's the thats the idea he wants in everybody's mind right now, given their history over the last 13 months. But you were talking about the beginning, how there's a very good chance Carson Beck is that uh, number one pick maybe in next year's yep. draft. And, well, let's just say that he's already got the car to back up that performance and that belief maybe that he is that number one pick in next year's draft. Now he's just got to do it on the field here in yep. 2024. Yep. Wrap up, uh, tough news. A couple of super fans. You saw Oklahoma super fan Toby Keith, he passed. And Brett Favre, Southern Miss, well, he got the bad news. He's got to repay state funds. So, uh, as we wrap up on a Tuesday, just a couple of notes there about uh, SEC or Southern teams and some of their headlines as well. So, wraps it up on this Tuesday. Me, David Heath, all of you, the guests, 22 hours. It'll be back for another couple of hours of college football conversation right here on Chuck Oliver Show. The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.